Who says you can't have fun in your terminal? Wes found SSH Tron, multiplayer Tron in your terminal. That's awesome. You just SSH to sshtron.zacklotta.com. We'll have a link in the show notes. Oh, yeah. And you can play multiplayer Tron in your terminal window. I love it, Wes. Good find. SSH Tron for the win. That's my. You that's didn't it even right know there. it was missing from your life, but it was. Show's over. We're done. Yeah, we're just going to be busy playing this, so entertain yourselves. This is Linux Unplugged, episode 231 for January 9th, 2018. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's ready to kill the Gen 2 challenge in its face. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. This should be it, right here. This should be the final Gen 2 challenge episode. But we'll have to wait and see, because first, we have to get through a packed show. Yes, my friends, 2018 is starting off with a bang. We'll give you a snapshot on where Linux is specifically, with Meltdown and Spectre. Then we'll get into a couple of new releases that might be some of the best open source software you're not using. It's it's great. Then, I say, the perfect Linux workstation is nigh. The absolute perfect desktop to run Linux is nigh. And it's well under $1,000. We'll talk about that. Ooh. Plus, our friends over at Elementary have a new app. Looking pretty good. And then the register says... Buckle up. It's going to be the year of GNOME, and it's going to be the year of Ubuntu. And they got a couple of notes on how it's going to just be a blowout year. And we'll talk about that whole Lenovo firmware bug that cropped up while we were off the air. We'll touch on that. And then Telegram's got a cryptocurrency. And then Wes, it's back. Linspire returns. Our old friend. The old Linspire. Remember Lindos, then Linspire? Remember Xandros? Yeah. They only have been merged together and relaunched. Linspire 7.0 launched this week. And um, I paid the $80 license fee to download it. You got your hands on it. And give it a shot. I bought it so you don't have to because you can't just download Linspire. No, no. You have to buy a $79 license, which includes an install media, which works out to be $94 all told. The things you do for the audience. (laughs) So I'll give you uh, my take on the new Linspire. I mean, so I went into it with with a bit of a bias, like $95, $95. And then I started to use it. Yeah, it might be the best XFCE desktop I've ever used. Hey, boy. Wow. I I mean, I don't know. It's early days, but... It, it blew me away. If I could get it installed and running, it really impressed me. So we'll tell you more about that. And then, towards the end of the show, at least my God, I hope so. I hope, Wes. Fascinating. It is the final chapter of the Gen 2 Challenge. Well, yeah, we're switching everything over to Linspire. <laughs> Gen 2 was 2017's OS. The most hated segment of all time. But you know what? Damned if we didn't actually get a little morsel out of this segment. Wes and I were talking about it before the show, and uh, we genuinely walked away with a lesson. What the hell is Gen 2 for? What good is Gen 2 for? What's its place in 2018 in Linux? And um, I think we figured it out. And uh, 
I think it's extremely important. In fact, I think it's sort of like as important as Linux itself is. So we'll talk about that and we'll hopefully wrap up the Gen 2 challenge. But before we go even a moment further, we got to say holla to our virtual lug. Time appropriate greetings, Mumble Room. Hello. 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 <laughs> Hello. Happy New Year's, everybody. Uh, take a moment from playing SSH Tron and uh, let's update everybody on uh, Meltdown and Spectre. You and Beard uh, touched on this last week because it was sort of like this awkward, there's something coming. The pre-release, yeah. Really, it wasn't supposed to be announced until today. Today was the day the embargo was supposed to be lifted, and today was actually the day we were supposed to learn about Meltdown Inspector. In a different universe. Yeah. Yeah, so um, we have uh, some great coverage coming out of JB. I'll just say that right now. Uh, later today, the uh, Ask Noah program is doing a special on Meltdown Inspector, and uh, Noah is bringing on Brandon Johnson from Red Hat to talk about their work with it, which I think is going to be an extremely interesting uh, insight. And then later in the week, Wes and I are doing a hell of a roundup on Meltdown Inspector. There's still a big part of the story that hasn't been told. We're going to have a complete timeline, a concise timeline of how everything went down. Lots of interesting tidbits there. So there's more coverage to come. So with that said, just a quick just state of the union for Linux as we record this episode. In brief, Meltdown is a CPU vulnerability. It works by using modern processors out of order execution to read arbitrary kernel memory location which could include uh, personal data like passwords, SSL key information. And then there's Spectre, a second, a second issue. Spectre breaks down the barriers between different applications. So you could theoretically use it to trick applications into accessing arbitrary programs, uh, not kernel, but arbitrary program memory locations. Spectre is harder to exploit than Meltdown, uh, but it's also harder to mitigate. It's more of a, like a design issue. So it's going to be something we'll be hearing more about through 2018. There's probably going to be more patches coming uh, upstream from Linux. So it's probably just the beginning of this story. As far as Meltdown concern is concerned, this is where we have some of the most traction with patches. Uh, work work is continuing, though. The latest updates of the uh, upstream stable Linux kernel 4.14.2 have current patches. Some people may experience boot problems with this release, however, so don't jump to get it. 4.14.13 will be out in just a few days. And patches have also been added to the old 4.4 and 4.9 stable kernel trees. Yeah, I've seen a lot of um, questions expressed about those backports, though. So if, yeah. if security is really your concern, it'll probably be best to have the most recent kernel available. Yeah, and Greg Cage has sort of been advising that. And 4.14 and 4.15 are getting those. Uh, there's still a lot of things in, in that are happening. Um, and it's, uh, it's, it's, it's obvious that the, the kernel team had more time to prep for Meltdown than they did Spectre. It's a totally different story. There's really no official, like, blessed Greg KH Linus Spectre patches at this point. There's different distributions that have solutions, but there's nothing that's been blessed by Upstream yet. Um, it's really all still shaking out. Yeah, yeah. I've been seeing Red Hat issue kernel updates for the 2 Series Linux kernel. Oh, boy. Yeah. Uh, Canonical is has been updating people on the status of their patches for Ubuntu. Same with other distributions. And um, there's been um, reports of performance impacts on certain workloads, specifically cloud workloads that have a lot of, say, disk and network I.O. And where security is particularly important. Mm-hmm. And that's sort of going to be the big story, don't you think, Bashful, long term? 
Absolutely. There's some people that are reporting up to 40% CPU spikes, and <laughs> there's a ton of stuff where when they have auto scaling set on for something like Amazon or whatever, and then all of a sudden their bills are just bouncing way up because what used to be an adequate workload for what they had deployed is now auto scaling up and they're getting hammered with the bills. Yeah. Yeah. I, and, um, we, uh, we, I think we'll probably talk more about this on TechSnap and, and get deeper into that or on Coder Radio maybe too. I was thinking about it, but this is going to really impact the Jupiter Broadcasting Development audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, you know, really, it's no fun for anyone, especially when you when you go into something like cloud computing. So that way you can budget like a certain set cost. And then all of a sudden, like you got to add. Never mind. Yeah. Woo. So we'll get more into that later. Oh, yeah. um, but I also wanted to say if you've been speculating, I know this affects all kinds of different processors. What about GPUs? The answer is yeah. Yeah, uh, NVIDIA graphics drivers have been updated to address vulnerabilities. Uh, in the show notes, we have linked a um, Ubuntu security notice that covers 17.10, 17.04, 16.04, and 14.04, and it's the same thing. Um, Jan Horn discovered that microprocessors utilizing speculative execution and branch prediction may allow unauthorized memory reads via side channel attacks, and guess what? NVIDIA's GPUs take advantage of that little trick as well. So you got to get fast. I mean, yeah, yeah, you got to get NVIDIA driver 384.111 to get that fix on Ubuntu. Good to know. Yeah. So there is. Oh, and then also there's news today or um, yesterday that but it's been updated today that Microsoft has uh, halted the meltdown inspector patches for Windows 10 after AMD machines were reported as unbootable. Ooh. Yeah, it seems like there's a lot of difficult patches. And as always, it's a, you know, patching is sometimes it's trivial. Sometimes it's like, okay, two packages got upgraded. But especially when it's your kernel, mm. you got to be careful. It's interesting that Microsoft can really turn the dial on this one. So they can just go, all right, well, we're going to continue pushing patches, but not for machines with AMD processors. Like they can get really granular on what client machines receive updates. They have a very uh, tight control. It's that cloud connectivity, Chris. Oh, oh, oh. So, yeah, not a good day for our Windows users either. Ask Noah if you're on the live stream. It comes on right after Linux Unplugged now. We're doing like a Linux blowout afternoon. It's perfect. You just sit down in the afternoon, yeah. hang out with yeah. us for a couple of hours, and have a great time. That crazy guy is working on integrating Mumble with the phone call system, too. So you oh, can hang fantastic. out. fantastic. Yeah, you join the virtual lug during the show. And then you just hang tight, and uh, you can participate in Ask Noah right with your same mumble setup. Mm-hmm. And so, uh, yeah, he'll be taking calls and uh, be discussing uh, Spectre and uh, Meltdown with his guests. So that'll be coming up more. I think go over to techsnap.systems and subscribe to our feed there because I have a suspicion that this is a story that uh, is just beginning. And there's going to be a waning period where people sort of get tired of it. But on the, what we're going to do with I, – I would suspect what we always do with TechSnap is we continue to monitor story and find interesting nuggets that maybe aren't getting reported on very much and just continue to follow it for yeah, a while. Three, six, nine months. Pieces of this are going to yeah. be popping up. Yeah, exactly. So we'll probably – long term, you'll probably see a lot of coverage there. Now, anybody in the mumble room want to talk about this uh, big story before we move on? Um, oh, uh, Bashful, you said you had some you had some crashes at work. I didn't see that. Yeah, a couple of the guys are doing some testing for our internal stuff, and there's like a reg file that you actually have to import, and they've now said don't do it mm. um, because we started getting a bunch of systems dropping out due to that. <laughs> oh, so geez. now we're Yikes. just waiting. We had to go and pull it back out, and now it's just a wait-and-see thing. Yeah. Yeah, I have a sense that um, 
you know, and it's unfortunate. There's there's not only is there performance issues, but there's apparently some stability issues and, and other side effects. And at the same time, you know that there has been developers and 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 um, and and other people that have just been working their butts off to get this stuff out in time, especially when it was disclosed earlier than it should have been. So it you got to take a moment and say thank you to these people, these unnamed faceless people who were working over the holidays, working through Christmas and New Year's to try to get this stuff together. And it might not be perfect yet, but my God, where would we be without them? Right. It's definitely a scramble and there are people doing the scrambling. Yeah. So you got to, in, in, in one moment, you got to go, okay, thank you guys. I appreciate the hard work you're doing out there. Uh, it really just, it just sucks. We, uh, we <laughs> did does. CPUs wrong. Everything is ruined. we all have to pay. <laughs> It's all bad. Uh, we're actually, it's funny. We're going to get back to that in a moment. We're going to go back to the good old days before processors were broken. But uh, before we go there, I want to give a shout out to two open source projects that I bet you're not using that you really should be. Uh, and I'm I'm guilty of this myself, so I, I may be projecting. But uh, first project that had an update since last episode is Shotcut, a really good video editor on Linux. It's I don't understand why we don't talk about it. It has one of the features that Rikai and I like the most in Final Cut 10, which is it renders um, preview stills and waveforms in line with your media, so it's all together and it makes it easy to skim and preview. Nice. Yeah. And it's got good performance, and they just added a feature that I am particularly interested in. It's an audio spectrum visualization filter, which we use for a lot of our Mm audio-only shows, and we use a series of Python scripts and whatnot. But this may be a way to do one-offs in a new and interesting way. So Shotcut just had a new update just a couple of days ago. It's release 18.01, and it just – it's, I think, maybe the best open-source video editor you're not using – and it it doesn't have as much hype as some of the other ones, but it's just been so steadily awesome. So shotcut s h o t cut dot org for that. And then I know you're not using this one because y'all keep talking about Evernote re- replacements and killers. And the reality is, we've had an Evernote killer for for ages now. It's even been an app pick on the Linux Action Show. Oh, yeah, I remember that. And it just got even better. Um, so just a couple of days ago, an interesting naming scheme again, 1801.1 of QOwnNotes has been replaced. Now, this is a plain text notepad with markdown support and OwnCloud slash NextCloud syncing integration. And one of the things they've recently added that I'm all on board with and it's it is a full featured, really well done application. Don't let the queue throw you off <laughs> if you're like a GNOME desktop or a Unity user or whatever. It is it is great. It is a well designed queued application. Um, but one of the things that they've added recently that I really appreciate is they've you've always been able to kind of create like to do lists and whatnot, but now you've actually got the ability to check items off in your notes, so you can create a list of these are the things I've got to do today. And then when you're done, you can go in there and check them off. That's awesome. It's a simple thing, but it makes such a difference for my note-taking application. I use the shit out of this for, like, uh, about to hit the road, and I need to yes, do a checklist right. of all the stuff i got to bring, all the equipment we got to bring to go do, like, a live show. So useful. And the fact that you can then sync on the back end with different open-source solutions, you can do small little, like, note windows that just take up s- tiny bits of space, or you can do, like, a full-featured thing that allows you browse your tags and your, your different categories, and it has multi-column live preview of the markdown. Like, you can go all out. Or you can just have it be this tiny little window on your desktop. It's one of my favorite cute applications for Linux. It's a, it is better than an Evernote replacement because it's using Markdown. It uses Nextcloud. Um, and um, 
I don't know. I don't know why we don't talk about it more. So I just thought since they had a new release, they just pumped out a new version that now lets you check things off. Is time to I talk. might install that just right now because that's half of what I would that's, do, right? Yeah, that's a, that's a great app pick. I've been looking for a placement for Zim Wiki for a long yeah. time. Oh. And yeah. uh, I think this is it. Yeah, this looks terrific. Yeah, I've even been wondering if we couldn't use this for production of our shows instead of using Slack and, and Google Docs or whatever else. It seems like this has just got a lot of potential. So I think 2018 may be the year of Q-Own notes for me. I have to give some love to my NextCloud instance first. Plus, there's a new version of NextCloud that's just around the corner. So I may let that land first and then do this. But I feel like it's It's happening. I feel like it's happening less. Apparently, you can also import from Evernote to QO Notes. Well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <That's>, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so stop talking about Evernote alternatives because QO Notes has been here for a while. And they got the new update, 1801.1, which uh, just came out. And I love it. I, I think there's tools like that that we, we, like, we don't really fully like, wrap our head around yet that, are, are, that make Linux a competitive desktop. But you got to have great hardware too. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's do. not just about like getting a great LTS release or getting a great rolling release and getting your favorite desktop. You also need to run it on the best hardware possible. And we've all we've all seen um, different different uh, different solutions for like the ultimate Linux workstation. The ones you build yourself. Dell just recently updated the XPS 13, which looks like a killer laptop. I thought you were just supposed to use a Raspberry Pi, and that was that was the end of the story. Is that not? You're telling me that we can do more? Oh well. Well, uh, there's a machine on the horizon that Wimpy and I have been talking about to each other offline for ages now. And we finally, with CES in full swing, have details on what I think is going to be 2018's perfect Linux desktop. And it's a NUC. It's the Intel Hades Canyon NUC with the dedicated, quote-unquote, Radeon graphics that comes on the Intel CPU. Oh, and then you combine that with Thunderbolt 3 ports, super fast disk, the latest Intel processors. Wimpy, what do you think? You know, this has got to be the desktop of the year, right? I'm really hoping so. And I'm going to find out by buying one the day they go on <laughs> yeah. sale. I'm very um, tempted too. It, it's a weird situation to be in. So we talked about this a little bit on User Error episode forty. Right. I've been follow. I've been tracking the the rumors about this device for some months now. Um, I have its predecessor. So this is I have the Skull Canyon Nuck, and I'm in a weird position where I've been so happy with the Skull Canyon Nuck. I've been pining for its replacement almost <laughs> since. I got it because I was like, if this is so good, what's the next one going to be like? And and here it is. We've now seen it announced at um, CES yeah. 2018. And are you and are you satisfied? Yes, I mean there is there is nothing about this specification of this device that I'm unhappy about. I'm really looking forward to getting one. Yeah, yeah. It's, um, I don't find it wanting. If I was going to be really nitpicky. The only thing I would say is I can't upgrade it to 64 gigs of RAM. I can only go to 32, which is what I have in the current NUC. But then the flip side of that is when I get this one, I will just be able to pop my old one open, remove the two um, M2 SSDs, remove the RAM, plug them into the new one, plug my... um, 
Razor Core into one of the Thunderbolt ports and power it on, and I'm back in business <laughs> on a whole new hardware platform. <laughs> yeah, that's you know almost instantly. Yeah, the one other thing I would have asked for is uh, two is because it has one Thunderbolt three bus, two Thunderbolt three buses, like maybe four USB C yeah, type would have yeah. been amazing. Ooh. I do uh, like there's yeah, there's double yeah, NICs I, there though. Yeah, that that's true. And if I put my storage over Ethernet instead of over Thunderbolt, then that's I mean, probably fine. Six there's six display options on this, right? Because there's yeah. two Thunderbolt yeah. 3. There's yeah. two mini DVI. Uh, yeah. d- sorry, mini display port, and there's two HDMI. <laughs> the HDMI are both HDMI 2.0A with HDCP 2.2. I mean, it's absolutely specced to the max. Um, oh, there yes. is a third. You're right. There is a third USB-C port on the front of it. So there is technically yeah. three USB-C ports. It's just one Thunderbolt 3 bus. bus. There's, yes. there's also internal headers for USB ports. Really? Yeah. Yep. It's it's totally tripped. I, <laughs> I, I I really love it. I it's um it's a bit fatter than the one that I have. But then again, the skull on the new one is illuminated with red and blue <laughs> um LED, so you know, you can't really go wrong. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh it's still smaller than a Mac Mini. I think yeah. that the the thing I wanna see is power V USB uh C. Yeah, that's just too much of a machine for that, though. I think it yeah, takes us. Uh, so. This machine draws. Um, I mean, six point three two amps with you know? uh, similar capacities that do it. Yeah, maybe, maybe. I don't know. Six, maybe for six the, amps maybe is... for the lower power model, with the sixty-five watt model. You might be able to power over USB C, but the 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 larger one that's a hundred watt, I don't think you can do over USB C. Yeah, I can't. I can't, Certainly I can't imagine. Certainly, my USB C charges all capped at like sixty-five watts. Yeah. I think. I'm just reading. I'm reading uh, the specs. It's a hundred and twenty watt adapter, nineteen volts at sixteen point three two amps is what the specs are for it. Uh Man, I really like this thing. So the and so not only is it tiny, but it's quiet too, right? Yours is pretty quiet, Wimpy. Um, yeah, my my NUC is quiet. Obviously, my ten eighty Ti in a Razor Core is a little bit <laughs> right, um, sure. louder. But, yeah, uh, but thankfully, through uh, the magic of directional microphones, you can't hear it. <laughs> so when you so you but you have the ability to dynamically switch between the external GPU in the Razor Core and the internal Intel GPU, correct? Yes. In fact, up until two days ago, that's how I was running things. So when we spoke about this a few weeks ago, I had uh, one of my monitors uh, uh, exclusively powered by the IGP in the NUC and the other monitor exclusively powered by uh, the 1080 Ti in the Razer Core. Right. And the acceleration was on one monitor with the 1080 Ti. And I could, I, it's a seamless X session. There's a little bit of magic in the way you need to set this up. Um, but I can drag windows between the two monitors and you can watch the 3D performance drop off as you drag <laughs> it from the NVIDIA accelerated screen to the Intel accelerated screen. But um, over the weekend, I've actually changed my setup. So I now have uh, display ports out of the back of the 1080 Ti to both monitors. So I'm not using the internal IGP at all now. I'm driving both monitors ah just off TI and I've actually had the happy coincidence of a performance boost through doing that, that oh. which I can't explain but what do you think what do you think about upside. the do you think there's going to be an advantage to this dedicated uh, bastardization of an Intel processor with an AMD GPU I mean that's that's sort of the big story about this NUC 
Yeah, I mean, it certainly um, got a lot of people people sort of scratching their heads and excited in that you've got uh, an Intel CPU package with um, an AMD graphics right. um, skew and a skew that, on the side. A skew that it could be possible to use entirely free graphics drivers. Yeah, absolutely. Um, uh, so um, you, you referred to it as Radeon graphics, but specifically the branding here is this is RX Vega mobile right. graphics. Yeah. Um, and I, I don't know much about how the consoles are manufactured, the, the, the PS4 and uh, the Xbox One uh, S and One X, but they obviously have a combination of Intel CPU and um, Radeon graphics as well. So I wonder if this is an evolution of that package, and maybe mm. this is this is maybe the smallest games console that's yet to hit the market. No kidding. And maybe future games consoles are going to be built around similar architectures. Well, have you seen and, that they're and, pitching it the the, the nine ninety nine uh, US greenback version as a VR ready machine? Yeah, yeah, I have. Mm-hmm. Um, nobody cares about VR. <laughs> no, of course so not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is. So the other thing about the NUC that I really, really appreciate, besides its size and its uh, low noise profile, um, is that they've really built the storage um, ideally. So the the core platform is set up so that the M.2 slots and I, and there's two of them, I believe, and that the Thunderbolt controller, by the way are hooked up directly to PCIe lanes right off the PCH. So you have super high bandwidth, hungry things like disk or Thunderbolt peripherals that get dedicated PCIe lanes right to the CPU, which means your disk is sitting right next to the CPU. It's got a fast track lane to to the CPU. And so you combine the latest Intel CPUs with storage that's wired directly to the CPU, and it makes for a very fast combination. Yeah, uh, and uh, right now, in fact, on the model that I have, the the M dot two SATA ports are both both MVME, and they've both they've both got their own dedicated lanes, so the disk performance is is excellent. Ooh. What I'm really excited about in this model is I've currently got one Thunder uh, USB you know Thunderbolt port, so, and I have the um, the 1080 Ti connected to that, but I also have a, um, a HDMI capture card that um, I can connect over Thunderbolt 3 and mimic a third screen through this capture device, but I can't have both running at the same time. So I'm now kind of excited by this one because I could have both of those things um, connected up. Mm-hmm. I think this is going to be, like I say... And well, another one at the front. <laughs> I think this might be, you know, the, the I find the XPS 13 extremely appealing yeah maybe dell can convince me otherwise uh i've invited barton george from dell on the show next week if it works for him to talk about the new dell hardware but you know with uh with the the price of bitcoin dropping i'm going i'm going to be more selective Uh, you have to you have to watch your wallet 2018 is going to be more selective and i'm if i can only buy one machine i think it's this one I, I actually had one of those new XPS 13s in my shopping basket on, on Sunday <laughs> evening and, and, and the additional ex- accessories I wanted. And I was sitting there hovering over the, the buy button, <laughs> thinking to myself, this will make my fourth XPS 13. Do I need a fourth XPS? And I, I eventually decided to bail on the purchase and decided that I didn't need a fourth one of these just yet. 
And yeah. I'm kind of glad I did because then the next day this device gets announced and uh, I think it's going to come on the market in March, which is ahead of the projections that I'd seen yeah. rumored of around June. So yeah, I'm going to, I'm going to hang on to my money and, and get one of these in March. I've been trying to convince Wes of this for about a year is I'm becoming a big fan of the powerful central desktop that uh, is permanently attached to my large NAS storage so I can I can run services like MB and Plex directly on my quote-unquote workstation. And then on the Edge, my Edge devices can be phones, can be low-end, you know, 2012 laptops uh, that uh, are, don't need to be all that powerful because I can either remote in using X2Go to my machine and then have my full power available or really what I have done is I've set up I've set up a series of queue jobs where I have different folders in Dropbox and when I drop files in there they they sync to the to my powerful workstation and kick off different jobs for me and so I am my my theory is is invest in a central desktop like a NUC that could be attached to local NAS storage I mean this thing's gonna have dual gigabit networking Ooh. I could just dedicate one of those to an iSCSI or NFS purpose and then the other one connected to the rest of the networking and then you could hook up external GPUs when I need to game when I quote unquote need to game and uh, if I don't I could just use the baked in AMD GPU which is gonna be great which will support free sync could have an entirely free open source driver stack and uh, it's going to be the ideal machine to be running during the Wayland transition, I suspect. Oh, yeah. And it's just refreshing, especially when you've like run a bunch of random random machines with different manufacturers doing doing the motherboard and doing all these internals. As Wimpy said, it does just feel tricked out and you feel, it feels feels like a proper right. computer that you can be proud of. The other thing that I'm, I'm taking some, some comfort in, and I bet you agree, Wimpy, is uh, this appears to be a product that Intel is going to continue to invest in because the NUC now has been around for ages and they've been steadily improving it. So it's something where you you could buy the Skull Canyon NUC last year and you essentially had full confidence that there was going to be another NUC for you to upgrade to. And that's also kind of nice because when you're buying some of these machines, sometimes you, you know the, the different OEMs will start up a product line and they'll have it going for a year or two. Um, and then their upstream ODM changes things up. And they have to cancel that product line and launch an entirely new product line. And there's no yeah. congruency there. There's no you know, continuancy there. Yeah. Now, while I appreciate that this new Hades Canyon NUC is not cheap by any means, I think the, the 65-watt model is gonna is rumored to be $799. And the 100-watt model is rumored to be $999. But what I'm able, and, and that comes without discs or um, SSDs, true, and it comes yeah, without yeah. RAM, yeah. and it comes without an operating system. But those three parts are interchangeable for me. So I'm going to take the RAM and the SSDs out of my old model and plug them into this one. I don't have to buy those this right. time. And around. your eGPU as and well. I'm going to plug my eGPU in, uh, and I'm off to the races. Yeah. So I actually anticipate the upgrade is going to be the time it takes me to unscrew one, remove the parts, plug them into the yeah. other and put the lids back on. You That's know, what I'm talking a about. Few minutes. That's what I'm talking about. And as a workstation, as a work station where you work and you want it to be reliable and you want to have minimal fuss, that's that is even if it only works for two models, even if you can only pull this off from from the Skull Canyon to the Hades Skull Canyon or whatever the, the Hades 
even if it only happens once, that is so worth it. That that kind of smooth, keep going about your day kind of is it's going to take you the time to reassemble and, and disassemble. That's that is so valuable. That's what I'm talking about. Like the, the, the same thing here is we have we bought early on when the Nux were brand new and they were those cute little squares. Yeah, I've had a silver. couple of those too. Yeah, it was the well, same. Some of those. Yep. Yeah, it was the same thing as we were able to move the parts between them. And that brought a certain like glue and duct tapeness to them. Like we could just stick them wherever we needed them. They weren't always even the best machine for the job, but because they were so flexible and so easy to move parts and you could just stick them wherever you needed them. And it, it, it is supremely useful. So yeah, I, I'm yeah. gonna. I'm, this will probably be the generation I buy in. I kind of wish I got the Skull Canyon. It just didn't really work out. But I think this will be the this will be the year. Hopefully, so maybe we'll have reviews. I'm sure you'll have a review if nothing else on the Fantastic yeah. Ubuntu podcast when it returns. Uh, well, that's still undecided. Oh, of course, we're, of course, uh, yes, of course. It season is. break. Uh-huh. We are we are very much pre curry at this point. <laughs> <laughs> Has curry been scheduled? No, no, oh. we haven't uh, oh. scheduled oh. curry yet. Okay, no, okay. No, all right. Are, mm. But we are in full Christmas New Year break, not even talking about it to one another at the moment. Amazing. I can't even fathom. What a world. I can't even what fathom. What a world. Yeah, it's some sort of utopia. Speaking of utopia, why not switch over to a mobile utopia? Go to Ting, linux.ting.com. It's a smarter way to do mobile because you only pay for what you freaking use. I know. They just take your minutes, your messages, and your megabytes, and they put them all together. And they're like, okay, guess what, Holmes? $6 for the line. And then your usage. And that's it. And that's it. What it's- about, like, weird fees? Do I have to, like, sign a five-year deal to get that sweet price? No contracts. In fact, you could try it for a month, and you could say, screw you, I'm out of here, and there's no termination fee. In fact, if you want to turn it on, turn it off, you could do that. I have, I have two MiFis from Ting, one that I leave on all the time, <laughs> and then one that I only leave on when I'm traveling, because it's CDMA, and I'm like, eh, you know, just, eh, you know. <laughs> but it's great for when I'm traveling. I just, I just go to linux.ting.com, I log into my S, I turn it on. It's so straightforward. Six dollars a month for the device means that if you need a like a go-to line for a, for a monitoring device for for something in your IT bag, it's easy. But if you want to use it as your full service, it gets you get you feel like you're hacking the system. You know, you feel like you're you're hacking the system because you can you can download your audiobooks and your podcasts and you can pin your music on Wi-Fi, and then if you don't take calls while you're driving. I mean, like for me, like when I'm going, when I'm commuting just between work and home, I'm like some sort of like new age non-cell using guy. Like you wouldn't even think I had a cell phone. I don't talk to anybody on the phone when I'm driving. That's crazy. And don't even text me. I'm using the, I'm using iOS 11. You know what I turned on? You know what they got in that thing? What do they got? What do they got? They got this, they got this, the system where it automatically using the accelerometer and the Wi-Fi chipset, when it notices that you're blasting past Wi-Fi access points like a maniac, the phone goes, oh, you're driving. You're driving. Let me turn on do not disturb mode. Well, isn't that nice? So people, when they text me, they get a, mes- they get a message back going, homeboy's driving. Do you really need to interrupt him? Is it that important? You what? You got nothing else to do right now? What's your, what's your big yeah, deal? Yeah, why are you, you so bored? You're so important? Get your life on. So they get like this thing that comes back, tells them to shut the hell up so they don't bother me. So you're happy already right there. And I don't, I don't have to deal with nothing. I just listen to my podcasts. Driving along. Never spending a dime on cellular because you just pay for what you use. $6 for the line. You pay for what you use. Go to linux.ting.com. And I got a suggestion. You need a phone? Do you, need, you, do you need a phone? Yeah. Oh, who doesn't? <laughs> what, do you, what do you got? Me? Do you have the Pixel? I do have the well, you Pixel. You don't really need a phone. 
But I mean, maybe maybe I need a phone. You will. What when about you, like a backup phone? Well, when you drop that thing, or when I yeah, when I smash those to tiny little bits. So everybody knows that some of the best Android experiences are the Motorola devices. Check this out: Motorola G5s Plus, two hundred and fifty dollars when you go to linux.ting.com. No contract. It's new. It's a multi-network CDMA and GSM, so you can just pick whatever works best in your area. Um, and you can even deactivate and reactivate. It's got 32 gigs of storage. goes up to 128 gigs with S with an external SD. Oh, I love SD. that. I know. More phones need to have uh-huh. micro SD. also has turbocharging, so you can charge. You can get six hours of battery in 15 minutes. Nice. It has a super high resolution. It's a 5.5-inch screen, but it's a 400, 401 PPI oh, density. Oh, that's good. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's got a fingerprint unlock. All metal design, Android 7.1 with uh, Android 8 update coming soon. They sounds say. like uh, flagship features without a flagship price, Chris. $254, you completely own it outright. No contract, no agreements, nothing. $254, you completely own this phone. You get a great Android experience. 8.0 is coming down the pipeline. Fingerprint reader, 401 PPI screen, and you pay for what you use. It's obvious. Linux.ting.com. Go there, get $25 off the device. Or if you want to bring one, if you got something that's compatible, check their BYOD page. They'll give you service credit. Linux.ting.com. And thank you to Ting for sponsoring this here Unplugged program. So Cassidy James over at Elementary OS wrote up a post on the Medium blog that Elementary – I think that's how it works. I don't, I don't get Medium, but my, my, my vague understanding is, is you can have a Medium blog and Elementary has a Medium blog. And over there, Cassidy wrote about a new tool that's coming to Elementary desktop users. And I thought, who better to pick the brain of than regular friend of the show, Mr. Mr. Dan the Rabbit. Woo! Yeah. So Mr. Daniel Foray joins us and uh, yes. from the Elementary Project with I what I perceive to be has to be the only scoop on this, right? Nobody better to go to than well, except for maybe Cassidy since he wrote the post. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shit. Well, we got Dan. Uh, so Dan, what can you tell us about uh, what may be uh, renamed to something that may be named Code Soon? Okay. So I guess the big the big thing about it is it's not really necessarily a new thing it's a new old thing mm. so so we've been working um we released our scratch text editor yeah. in like 2011 right like when we did uh luna way back in the day been hacking on this thing for ages kind of came to a point with it where we sat down and kind of thought about okay what's the point of this app like what is it supposed to do is it for notes is it for hacking on code is it you know what what's what do we do with this app and we finally decided, you know, this is an app that we use every day for programming. And so we're going to rebrand it. We're going to change all the defaults and we're going to make it a great code editor and not just a generic text editor. I think this is this is great. It looks good, too. Now, I have so many questions that come to mind when I hear this. So first of all, do you – okay, uh, boy, I don't want to forget them, so I'm going to tell you what they both are. Number one, do you think people are going to use this over, say, Atom or Visual Studio Code or Sublime Text or Insert whatever or Builder? Yeah, or and and GNOME Builder. Yeah, that's that. Yeah, and um, uh, do you foresee that a large do you do you perceive? I guess I should say that a large portion of the elementary OS user base are developers, or do you, are they more end users? This seems like um, I don't know. This is I love it. I think it's. A, I think it looks great. I think it's a great idea. 
But I also wonder if it's a little bit of a of a of a, um, a result of a of an echo chamber or a bubble. Um, I mean, well, to answer the first question, uh, definitely at least um, we use it all the time, and we hear about people who use it because they're they're filing issue reports and tweeting at us and, and stuff like that. Um, so we know that there's a good amount of people that prefer having a native app to a um, like a cross platform or electronic. Sure. App. Yeah. Yeah. I would Just be for, one of those people. Yeah. Yeah, just for performance and integration features. Um, I mean, there's there's niceties in code that you get. Like, uh, so in the latest version of Terminal, we have style schemes now. And if you use the Terminal plugin in code and you change your style scheme in the Terminal app, the Terminal plugin in code will match the new style oh, scheme. Oh, cool. So there's a lot of little niceties like that where it's the apps are integrated with each other and they feel native. So there's there's come some compelling reasons to use code instead of using a different uh, text editor app like Atom. Yeah, but uh, and your second question was I'm sorry, what was it? Was well, about? I mean, do you see a large portion of your user base um, wanting something like this? Do you see a lot of developers on elementary, or is it mostly just you guys that are the developers on elementary? Well, we're definitely um, we're working with a new uh, large third party ecosystem of developers. Uh, we just crossed seventy apps in in App Center, so yeah, um, right, a fair. huge yeah. a, a huge part of our our focus and our mission lately has been making sure that we have a really great developer story for them. I see, and uh, including great developer tools out of the box, I think is part of that story. Right, of course, you you want to make it easier for people to make applications for elementary desktop users even if it's not a huge portion of the user base people that are there's going to be some people that are using the desktop to create applications for right. those users that makes a lot of sense i Absolutely. think it looks great so um all right, can people get their hands on it right now or is this is like the final like quote unquote code version when it's completely become code is that going to be something that is in a future release well, you can go pull uh, Git Master. It's open source up at uh, github.com forward slash elementary forward slash code. Hey, that's um, easy. Yeah, super easy, right? But um, we will. We are doing the, the stable release of code will come with our uh, Juno update, which is the next release of elementary OS. Hmm. So Juno is going to be based on 1804? That's correct. Oh man, you know, you know, I want to ask you like how long until after eighteen oh four? But I know you don't have an answer for me. But uh, just to yourself. set expectations. Do you want to? Do you want to like like um, set any kind of expectations? How long Juno may be until we actually are downloading it, installing it on our systems? Well, I can tell you that we're testing eighteen oh four daily builds right now. And that we've been um, building all of our apps on 1710 before that in preparation. So we have a lot of major migration work and regression testing already done. Um, uh, So we're really hoping to get as close as possible to that 1804 release date. Uh, Maybe give a little padding so that we're not overlapping with their press releases but um, we're we're really going to try as hard as possible to get it out right away. You know, it's interesting. That is awesome, Daniel. Yeah. Go you. Yeah, impressive. It is, it is really good. Thanks. And Thanks. I, I, I think um, I've, I've been looking at elementary OS in a different perspective as Ubuntu is getting better. For some reason, like I, I, I look at 1804 based on GNOME and I think this is going to be – this is going to be the – development workstation to compete with 
1804 is going to be Canonical's second crack at shipping a GNOME desktop. And I'll say that 1710 is essentially the beta test for 1804. And so they, they're, they're trying out a lot of stuff in 1710. And what you're going to get with 1804 is the best of what worked. On top of that, Ubuntu is enjoying um, quite a bit of brand recognition at the moment, quite a bit of industry support. And it, from all indications, snaps seem to be also increasing in industry support. So these these things are all coming together, I think. And plus, then you combine things like the new XPS 13 and this NUC that's coming along. It's going to just be an undoubtedly great solid Linux workstation. Uh, it To me, it seems like 1804 is going to be uniquely competitive in its um, draw to developers and uh, the Sputnik-type users that Dell seen success with their sales. But at the same time, elementary OS seems very poised to sort of take advantage of some of the same momentum. And um, it could come down to your desktop has less rough edges than the GNOME experience, and that's enough to sway a certain percentage of people. It could come down to the native applications are more appealing to a certain set of users than having everything as an electron on your Ubuntu desktop. Um, and so you, I, I, am, I, am really, I am really interested in the Juno release because it's going to be released in such a competitive year. For Linux desktops, because and we're not even talking about like the work that Fedora is doing, uh, and so it's just going to be a fascinating, fascinating release to watch. And um, I, I am, I think, I at least I hope, I think you guys are going to be better positioned. The closer you are to the eighteen oh four release, the better positioned you are to be considered a you know an alternative. Um, and uh, code and 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 things like that, I think, are a really good step in that direction. I. I'll tell you what, if you, as, when things get closer, if you want a very particular beta tester, let me know. <laughs> I'd be happy to kick the tires a bit to give you some feedback because I'm really excited about the release. Definitely, definitely. And I'd love to talk to you more about it on the show, too, as we come up with more announcements of what we're going to be working on. Right on. We're going to try Excellent. to. Um, we recently kind of switched uh, Loki over into maintenance mode, and we had been doing these uh, monthly updates posts for yes, Loki. right. So I, I think like that. that going forward, um, we're going to be trying to make at least monthly posts about all the new features that are coming into Juno right. as they land. I I think if you are and not you, I mean just like the proverbial like people out there that are that are releasing distributions. If um, you didn't watch what happened with seventeen ten and did Rock's blog post that communicated where they were going with seventeen ten and how how dramatically that impacted the perception and reception to Ubuntu 17.10, then you're asleep at the wheel. If you, are, if you are running any distribution out there and didn't learn a lesson from how that communication made a huge difference, then I, I, you're, you probably ought to just give up because that's – I know it's difficult because it takes a ton of effort to make a great blog post like that. It takes somebody who actually knows what's going on. You got to get screenshots. It is, it is more effort than we'd like to admit it is. But the rewards are so high. And um, you guys are getting there with, with these – I've been I've – been, I didn't expect it throughout the Loki release. I did not – I didn't expect the updates on what's going on, and every time they've they've landed on the blog, I've been like, "That's great! That gives us something to talk about. It makes the it makes the distribution um, a relevant topic for to the it. week. Yeah. yeah, you get an idea of what their focus is. It's like you can observe something over a longer period of time and get it's a better a story. idea. Yeah. Yes, yeah. So good on you. I'm glad to hear it. Sounds Ooh. like you guys learned some of those lessons watching the seventeen ten release too. 
And uh, <laughs> boy, I just I, I feel bad for the distributions that uh, haven't figured that out yet. Um, well, good, Dan. Keep us posted. I'm looking forward to hearing that. Now, the Register has a story where they make the case that um, it's going to be the year of Gnome and that when you add in Flatpak and Snaps, it could be a new revolution <laughs> for the Linux desktop. Um, That's right. It only took our first episode in 2018 for us to call it as the year of the <laughs> Linux desktop. Yeah, I Boom. love it. It's, thank you, Register. Um, so I guess we should mention since our last episode uh, where I was on it in, in, in 2017, there was a, a bug right as we got off the air that became public <laughs> that um, 1710 was causing some issues on some Lenovo laptops. And it was uh, apparently it was the Intel SBI driver, which allows for BIOS firmware updates, which is, I guess, not prime time ready. And uh, so that's still kind of going on as as we talk about this. So 1710 has has been a great release, except for that whole laptop thing. Um, I haven't followed it closely. Wimpy, is there any do you have any anecdotes or any additional information or status of where it's at right now before I move on from it uh yeah i tell you what i'll paste something in the discourse okay. uh, discord just quickly yeah all right uh that's that's the link to the iso testing for the respin of the 1710 okay isos for ubuntu and all the flavors so that testing is happening now and the release is scheduled for thursday the 11th of january and um boy so 1710 has been unavailable that entire time uh, it has for main Ubuntu, yeah. Ooh, yeah. Wow. Um, so, but the the thing is, is that everyone thinks that this is an Ubuntu problem, and it no, right. wasn't the case. Other distributions right. have had this problem. It's just at scale, more people right. experience yeah. it with Ubuntu. It's an Intel SBI driver issue, right? So it's it's really anything yeah. anybody that turns on. In, so the 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 it's Ubuntu's fault narrative has been well canonical are the ones that decided to turn that feature on because it's it's actually turned off by default upstream lots of things are turned off upstream <laughs> that are turned on distribution. <laughs> yeah boy isn't that true yeah for yeah. sure yeah um so um it sounds like 1710 will be again like i said it's, in some ways it's like you do this now to figure out what not to do for 1804 Right, so it's like you catch this now before it's in the LTS. Same with um, oh, the Wi-Fi crack pass uh, issue, and uh, now <laughs> meltdown inspector. Like, it's just how it goes. Eighteen oh four is going to ship with uh, crack patched and uh, this issue figured out, and um, uh, the meltdown inspector patches. Right, so that's it. it re- there really is a logic to the to the process. Um, but the register proposes that uh, canonical dropping Unity was the biggest single story in Linux for 2017, and they think that Ubuntu without Unity will continue to be a big story for the foreseeable future, um, because with Ubuntu using GNOME Shell, remember this isn't Chris saying this, this is the register, with the Ubuntu using GNOME Shell, almost all the major distributions out there now ship primarily with GNOME making GNOME Shell the de facto standard Linux desktop. Which, um, if, I, if, you were gonna, if I were going to rewrite that, I might say making GTK more like the de facto toolkit. But mm. yeah, um, you're probably right about that. I've, I've got opinions about that article. Yeah. And I'm just going to start by saying these are not colored by my 
involvement in the Marte project at all. This is me talking as a Linux desktop enthusiast that has an appreciation for Linux desktops across the board. And if you look at the big applications that people are using on the Linux desktop, Firefox and Thunderbird and LibreOffice and Google Chrome and Skype and Slack and Spotify, just to name a few, none of those are GTK3 applications. None uh, yeah. of those Fair are point. GNOME applications. Yeah, Chrome. So yeah. I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree this is going to drive developers to creating GNOME applications. Yeah, that's a fair point. I do think it gives the Linux desktop a more consistent target, which is built around GNOME and GTK3 technologies, which lots of other desktops sit on top of. Daniel from Elementary, for example, me representing Mate here, um, currently um, Budgie, but eventually Cute, um, Cinnamon, um, is another one, you know, so it does give a common toolkit target, mm-hmm. but I really don't think that developers who want to target the Linux desktop are suddenly going to want to learn the complexities of yeah. GTK three right. at all. Gnome builder is not enough you'll... to make it, make that happen. Personally, I don't think so. I, I think that if developers are going to come to Linux, you just look at the big applications now. You've got Adobe with brackets. You've got Atom, um, Microsoft Visual Studio Code, Microsoft Skype. These are all Electron applications. Um, Spotify's Chromium Embedded Frameworks, which is a similar framework tool. I think if we're going to see the large software vendors bring their software to Linux, it's going to be through a more portable cross-platform framework like Electron. Right, yeah, these moves may have helped several years ago, but Electron is still the easiest path forward, right, the most maintainable. But it does have to count for something. I mean, if you have the ubiquity of GTK and GNOME, and then you bring in Flat and Snappacks, it, it, oh, yeah. I mean, the story there is there is a common target now in a way that we've never had with Linux. Yes, definite, definitely Snap and Flatpak give you a way to target the Linux desktop in terms of easing your package and packaging and software delivery in a way that third party developers who are not in the Linux, you know, bubble so, um, have had before. What about what about the horrible irony and this is my personal opinion, that our friends over in Plasma Land may have better solutions. Um, here I am, I'm not using GNOME 3 because I find it to be leggy and crashy, which I do not have that problem on my on my machine at home. Mm-hmm. I'm running the Plasma desktop. Um, uh, what about all the KDE fans out there? Because this is, this sucks. This sucks for them if no, I every major... No, does. No? No, for the same reason. Um you, you, you have the open source enthusiasts who will be developing GNOME applications or KDE applications and working on KDE or working on GNOME or, or similar and related technologies. And then you have projects because not even Firefox, although Firefox looks like it may integrate with GTK3, it's not a GTK3 application. Mm-hmm. It only takes hints from GTK3 as to how to style and theme. And the same is true for LibreOffice and the same is true for Google Chrome and Chromium. Uh, those are probably the biggest applications people are using on the desktop right now. And the same is also true for all of the Electron applications. It was only on November the 27th last year that 
GTK3 support landed in Electron upstream. And even today with Electron, I think it's 1.8 point something beta 3, that's still linked against GTK2. So they're not right. releasing, you know, new versions of Electron that are, are linked and, and, but, and built against GTK3. But now they have the green light. They have the go-ahead to say, here is the next target for us to rebase on. Part of that is... You, nobody wanted to pull the trigger because they didn't know what to rebase on. But now if you have Fedora and SUSE and CentOS and Red Hat Enterprise Linux and Ubuntu all shipping GNOME desktop plus then some of the most popular derivatives, Ubuntu Mate, uh, Elementary OS, uh, Solus, they're all using GTK desktops. The, the, it, the, the foregone conclusion is, well, that's our new target now. GNOME 320 or later is our new target. And um, no, I mean, I give it time. So. I- Give it, give it. I, in 2019, it may, it may be a foregone conclusion that you just target GNOME 320 or something. I, I think elementary are the exception to the rule here, in that they've actually got a growing um, community of application developers uh, targeting specifically their toolkit, their design language, and their desktop environment. And I don't, uh, and uh, the key word here is growing, you know, because it's clearly growing because every time Daniel comes on and talks it's about more apps, this, yeah. <laughs> the number of apps has, has gone up by 10, right? Mm. And, and, and we also know that isn't an, an untruth because we can see it. But I don't think that this is true for those other desktops and their application ecosystem. I'm not saying that the the Linux desktop is in a state of decline. I think it could be in a very healthy place, but I think a lot of the applications that we're going to be using aren't going to be uh, native to the desktop environment that we're currently running. I do agree. Yeah, and I and I think it's it's just a market reality. It's where it's 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 the same. It's not actually it's not a Linux. It's not unique to Linux. It is something that Mac users are also going through and Windows users. Slack is a Electron app on Windows and it's just as much as it is on the Mac and just as much as it is on a Linux desktop. It's not something it's unique to us. It's a it's a bigger story. It's a bigger market dynamic that's going on than Linux. And so I think it's yeah. a, I think you're just absolutely right because of those forces at play. But I'd love to hear what Daniel has to say because I know he has opinions about this. I would and I've too. Yeah. Long mm-hmm. enough. Oh boy, do I have opinions. <laughs> now, I you know, um the one of the big problems I think is actually um coming from a design perspective instead of a toolkit perspective. Uh because even uh GTK apps that are built for GNOME don't necessarily work on other desktop environments. Uh for example, GNOME games requires some system settings that are part of GNOME in order to configure where the library gets stored. Or uh GNOME Builder shows two maximize icons on Elementary OS because it expects that in GNOME there is no maximize icon. Yeah. Oh, that's brutal. It's so basic. It's so it's so nineties. It's so basic. It's actually pathetic. But I, I can't call this a, a GNOME problem because we have the same problem the other way. Um, you know, people who are writing apps for elementary OS are expecting to use our style sheet because we have special features that they take advantage of, style classes, things like that. Yeah. So when you use our apps on GNOME or even on Mate, like, they're really broken. And the guys in Pop! OS have been doing a lot of work in their style sheet to try to maintain uh, compatibility with apps that have been targeted and built for elementary OS. Sure, sure, yeah. Now, it to me seems like this is the downside, or um, downside is probably too harsh. Uh, 
this is the side effect. This is the this is the action reaction when you try to create a platform. So Gnome Builder is a is a is is meant for the Gnome platform, right? Gnome software is meant for the Gnome platform. Gnome games, uh, all of that is meant for the Gnome desktop platform. And we all remember we all remember when the Gnome folks were talking about building an even Gnome OS. Remember when Gnome OS was going to be a thing? Like they're not they're not building these things for um, people running Mate. Or uh, or Pantheon, they're run- they're building these things for people that are running a, a modern version of the GNOME platform. And oh. if you're if you're building a platform, just like you guys are building a platform, um, that's just isn't that just how it goes? Yeah, I don't think any amount of um, toolkit or uh, packaging work is ever going to solve this problem. Mm, um, the yeah. only thing that you can do to solve it is as a design and development team decide that you're going to forego any form of desktop integration. Oof, you're going to mm. forego rules and in human interface guidelines. You're going to forego special yeah. platform features and special design yeah. and features. And then you get new Skype. Right. Yeah. You're going to build something that's either completely non-native everywhere or people are going to have a bad time on different platforms. Whew. You're completely correct. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, we got to move on, but uh, great point. And uh, we can pick it up in the post show if we have more. But let's talk about where you can get it right. DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com. Go over there, create an account, and then use our promo code DOUnplugged. You apply that, it's one word, you get a $10 credit at DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com is an easy way to get cloud resources on demand when you need them running on top of Linux. Everything's SSD. DigitalOcean.com. Go spin up a machine in less than 55 seconds. Every single machine is SSD because they're an all-SSD cloud. They have an intuitive API that's really easy to work with and a lot of open-source codes already built around it. But better than that... They have the interface, the dashboard for days, digitalocean.com. Use our promo code DO Unplugged. I'm just going to mention this because this is one of my personal goals for 2018. And I say I'm not a resolutions guy, but if there's something about just starting fresh, I'm, I'm taking advantage of monitoring and alerting, collecting metrics, monitoring performance, and receiving alerts so I can optimize the Jupyter Broadcasting backend. And it's all built. It's just built in. No additional cost. DigitalOcean.com. Go spin up my favorite machine. They got machines as cheap as $5 a month. So like our $10 credit, it's going to get you two months for free. Do unplugged? But my favorite system is three cents an hour. Three cents an hour. It sounds insane, right? But it's a it's a beast. Two gigs of RAM, two virtual CPUs, forty gigabytes of SSD, and three terabytes. You can do of whatever transfer. you want on that. You know. Oh, boom! DigitalOcean.com. Use our promo code DO Unplugged. Also, quick plug for a community documentation: how to use Proxy SQL as a load balancer for MySQL on Ubuntu sixteen oh four. And I'm gonna I'm gonna add an addendum. Consider also private networking. DigitalOcean's private networking feature with Proxy SQL. You're welcome. I'm just going to – I just saved you some money. I just made things way faster. I just made your, your whole thing look like a boss-level enterprise product. You're welcome. Yeah, right. Digital, they just like help you and they push you into doing you know, the right things. You designed it the right way. You have the right SQL, tools. With their private networking, it's – that's like money in the bank. At DigitalOcean.com, go create an account and then use the promo code Unplugged. Big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Unplugged program. All right. So I want to talk about briefly Telegram's cryptocurrency plans, mostly because – Wait, I, say that again. What? Yeah. What? Yeah. <laughs> the Telegram open network. It's going to be a third generation blockchain network. Yeah, not a first gen, not a second gen, Wes. Third gen. <laughs> third gen. Who, who sets these? Who gets to decide that? Everybody. Did you, did you know that Kodak today announced that they're uh, – they're, yes. Did you see that? Mm-hmm. 
this is getting crazy. You just you just you just put cryptocurrency or blockchain in your product name and your stock goes up 44%. Kodak is announcing a crypto coin. But so yeah, the Telegram open network is coming at your face soon, Linux users. I know a bunch of you are a bunch of Telegram users. It's going to be a third generation blockchain network building on the work of previous cryptocurrencies to provide something groundbreaking. They got a white paper, which is uh, oh, step one oh, when you have a cryptocurrency. Absolutely, you got to yes. have a white paper. 132 page white paper that came out on Monday. They're going to kickstart a new cryptocurrency that will rapidly scale to meet the needs of its users. The wallet could launch as soon as the fourth quarter of this year, with the Telegram open network open to the rest of the users in 20 frickin' 19. It's a proof-of-stake model, um, which is similar to Bitcoin's proof-of-work model. My God. This... I bet you're going to... I bet you will see at least another 20 of these this year. Because the technology is open source. If you've got a large user base... Like if 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 this if Jupiter Broadcasting had the listener base of NPR, why not launch the Jupiter Coin? Yeah. Oh yeah. You know you download you download a week's worth of episodes and you get a coin. Then you can trade amongst each other's, and of course then you have an exchange where you can convert it to other cryptocurrencies or maybe even legal tender. And uh, there's a little bit of a skiff, you know, a little percentage right off the top mm-hmm. that Telegram takes or the JB Coin takes. Uh, I mean. How long until a Linux distribution? Uh, if 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 this was if this was, I mean, it's just it's just, just like where does it stop? Where does it end? Like you're going to have distros that have cryptocurrencies. I mean, it's just um, they're going to have 200 million grams in circulation. Four percent will be held by the development team. Fifty-two percent will be held by Telegram to avoid speculative trading, and the final 44 percent will be distributed in private and in public in sales. <laughs> So uh, will you be part of those sales, Chris? You're going to be buying well, up. Just, you're going to be investing. That's just the thing. Like, if you're going to get in on a cryptocurrency, I mean, you you got to figure like if this is probably going to be a semi-successful cryptocurrency. It's probably going to be a way for bot makers to make money. It's probably going to come up and down. You could probably speculate and day trade with it. <laughs> the Telegram with coin. the Telegram bot that you also wrote to buy and sell Telegram. My, my goodness. So I have a question. Yeah. Uh, Telegram's a, a Russian company, right? Yeah. Well, this is how they're uh, going to break away from the control of the Putin government. Well, hasn't uh, Russia like banned a lot of cryptocurrency stuff recently? No, no, no. They're no, not quite. What they're doing is they're going to start regulating it, which is really the stamp of approval for businesses to start using it. Well, I thought they were blocking a lot of uh, cryptocurrency yeah, that's, exchanges, though. That is kind of that. There is a evaluation period happening, but the end result. What? So this has happened in other countries too. What happens is, is you get a headline like Bitcoin being blocked in China, or Bitcoin being blocked in India, Bitcoin being blocked in Russia. What, it, what that translates to is the government's financial components are doing a review of how they can integrate cryptocurrencies into their fee structure, and then once they figure out how they can regulate and tax it, they turn it back on. And now all of a sudden businesses have been given a predictable model. They know how the government's going to react to their cryptocurrency revenues and they they go for it. So I actually think this is a result of the recent evaluation of the Russian government. This is sort of like this is the end result of those recent headlines. I see. Mm-hmm. 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 It is a it is a crazy time we live in. See now I just now we now we need Jupiter coin. How do we let's get started on that? I know, I know, I know. Or Ubuntu coin or uh Budgie coin or uh or Solus coin, you know. Ask Noah could have the Ask Noah coin. Yeah, Every time you call in you get a coin. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
<laughs> oh man, Noah probably doesn't want me to tell the story, but I'm going to tell it anyways, just to just to tease the Ask Noah show that's coming up next. Uh, so Noah was cleaning out the kids' room. You know, his, his parents every now and then you just got to go in and do a big purge. And uh, like two years ago, and his kids are young, especially two years ago, right? Mm-hmm. He gave his kids as like stocking stuffers paper bitcoins, like uh, like a not a whole Bitcoin, but like a fraction of a Bitcoin, yes. which were worth like $25 at the time. <laughs> and uh, so the wife and him were uh, looking at all the different stuff that they'd gone through and they found like these uh, these two or three uh, Bitcoin paper receipts. And so Noah does a little check on them and each one's now like worth $250 or something <laughs> like that. And he's like, good work, kid. He's like, this is my life, man. I just got like Bitcoin, like just hanging out all over. I got loose change in Bitcoin. That that bastard. But it was a pretty funny story of, you know, you just you get in on something early enough. So, you know, set some set some Bitcoin aside or what you should do is if you got Litecoin, set some Litecoin aside and plan to buy Telegram coin with your Litecoin. There you go. (laughs) That'll probably do it. That'll probably do it. All right. Well, um. I feel like we should get into Linspire because uh, I want to finish up the Gen 2 Challenge and I don't want to run out of time. You guys remember Linspire, right? Remember? Do you remember Linspire? I do. Uh, you I might also forget. you might remember Lindos. Yep. Lindos, uh, which was a common to- covered topic early on in the Linux Action Show. It was a commercial distribution which uh, changed hands a few times. Uh, it started out um, when it became Linspire as based on Debian. And the idea was to give a familiar desktop to Windows users. It was even kind of promised to make it easy to run some Windows applications. Then later on in Linspire's history, it was rebased on Ubuntu. And it continued to try to be like a user-friendly distribution. But eventually, um, it was sort of a commercial failure. And it was purchased by another distribution called Xandros. And then discontinued back in 2008. So this is how far back we're going. Now, I was a uh, particularly heavy Xandros user for a small period of time because Xandros was a Debian-based distribution with out-of-the-box, like during your setup, Active Directory support. Oh, wow. And full, complete integration with Crossover Office. So it associated EXEs and autoruns.infs and everything with Crossover. So you could actually take the Office... 2003 or whatever it was back then, the Office XP installation CD, you could put it in the CD-ROM drive of your Linux box and insert it, and the auto-run like installer would come up like as if you would just put it in a oh, Windows wow. box and walk you through the complete installation of Microsoft Office, um, which uh, be involved in a shop that needed to be able to open up XLS files and use Outlook with Exchange. That was a huge feature for me. So I was a big Xandros user. Um, and in 2008, it was kind of a bummer to see that Xandros decided that Linspire just needed to end. Fast forward to the end of 2017, though, and a company known as PC slash Open Systems LLC announced that they had purchased Linspire and its community edition, Freespire, and would resume development of these two Ubuntu-based distributions. Now... Just in the last week, Linspire 7.0 and Freespire 3.0 were released. Now, Linspire is being sold as a commercial product, which uh, can be com- which PC slash Open Systems is hoping to bundle with hardware, um, and or you can buy it. Now, Freespire can be downloaded today free of charge. Freespire is like a respin without all of the proprietary components. Of Linspire. So what are those proprietary components? What do you get if you spend $799.99 USD? 
What do you get? If you, if you spend what actually works out to be $94 when all is said and done yeah. because they're going to ship you media and charge you for $10 or so for shipping. Um, so what do you get for $95 when you download Linspire? I had to know. Like this distribution that's been around since the beginning it's of my podcast. question. Like what do you get for $95 of an Ubuntu respin? So I decided to pay it so you don't have to. And uh, I've been loading it during this show. In fact, uh, the installation is complete. Whoa! I'm going to do a restart right now so we can kick the tires. Um, right here live. I was, anything could happen. I got to tell you, I played around with it for about an hour before the show, too. So these are early impressions. But I played around with it for an hour before the show. And um, uh, I, I really went into it expecting it to be complete and total shit. And was – well, first of all, if I'm giving you my complete and honest Please do. impression, I thought I was – using the Plasma desktop at first. Really? It uses LightDM for the login manager. It's based on Ubuntu 16.04. And when it booted up, I thought it was like a Plasma 5 desktop that's been reworked to um, remind you of uh, the KDE 4 days. But not in like a bad way, but like, you know, in a tasteful way. Yeah, yeah. Um, And it wasn't until I opened up the terminal and uh, looked at all the running processes that I realized that was the next thing I did, that I realized I was actually on XFCE and that I was using Thunar and it wasn't oh. the Plasma desktop at all. So here it is right here. It's the uh, – you get uh, – this is a LightDM login and I've already set up my user account here. So I'll log in. And there's out of the box a couple of things that you don't get on FreeSpire. Number one is Chrome. So Chrome is oh. the default browser out of the gate. Let me clear off. So I'm running it right now under virtualization because I didn't want to put it on my physical hardware. But, I mean, I know it's a little hard to see it all, but tell me if that doesn't look like the like a KDE Plasma desktop right there. Oh, yeah. I can definitely see what you're talking about. Yeah. yeah. So it threw me for a loop just a little bit. I, I was surprised, but then quickly impressed. It's um, It's got a, a nice menu launcher. Oh. It's, got a, it's got a couple of things pre-bundled in that I like quite a bit. It's still shipping Pigeon. He's got VLC as the default media player. Skype is pre-installed. We're going to come back to the click and run store here in just a moment. There's a couple other things I was um, surprised by. Bleachbit is installed by default. Really? That drive wiping yeah. software. Yeah. Uh, Unet Bootin is installed <laughs> by default. And VirtualBox, as well as all of the LM sensor stuff, is installed. And GDEBI, the, my preferred um, package installer on Ubuntu desktops, is installed by default. I actually think that's pretty great. Also, a very simple firewall configuration is installed by default. I, I guess the best way to describe the theme is it's very plasma, don't you think? Yeah, it is very plasma. It's um, also kind of using like the Mac OS, old Mac OS X icons. It's not bad. I mean, I wouldn't call it beautiful, but it's not offensive. And it's fast, right? It's very, very fast. Um, and it out of the box, Samba and uh, NMBD resolutions working. So let's talk about click and run. This is interesting. This is really interesting. It's um, – well, do you remember the, the the big thing about Click and Run back in the day was it was the first – it was the first Linux app store. Right. And it was even the first Linux app store that um, supported payments. That was the huge thing about Click and Run. And um, I I was really curious to see – if it had held up, if it was still populated, if they had current applications. Yeah. Has it just wandered off into the weeds? And what is, what is Linspire without click and run? Right. Yeah. That's the, that's how much of this is it, is it Linspire in name only, or is it really a continuation of this noble lineage? Right. So, uh, I, uh, I wanted to find out and, uh, that was, um, 
Well, I was surprised by what I discovered, but it actually kind of makes sense. I'll tell you about it here in just a second. But first, let me mention Linux Academy. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Go there and sign up and get a free seven-day trial. It's a platform to learn more about Linux, a full-featured training library with everything you need to know to, know, to learn. New, everything you need to know, everything you need to learn new skills um, or advance your career if you're ready to kind of move forward. I, I think probably my, my favorite feature about Linux Academy would be the, the learning paths because you get, you get content that has been specifically engineered by their instructors for specific career tracks. And then as you go along this track, they'll spin up like virtual cloud servers for you at SSH in and, and use these things really in production. They've got hands-on scenario-based labs to give you experience on real servers. They have practice exams and quizzes to help you prepare for certifications so that way you can really take this stuff and apply it. And if you ever get stuck, they've got human beings that can help you, real instructors that are standing by full-time people on Linux Academy staff to help you. That's something that all of these other training sites that have Linux as a feature can't match. Now, if you go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged, you can sign up for a free seven-day trial so you can get a taste of what their content is, how the platform works. And the big thing that I figured out within the first 24 hours of signing up for Linux Academy was... Things that were nebulous as like, God, one day I'd like to figure out how to even try to learn this thing. Things that were like categorized as that in my brain went to, oh, if I go to Linux Academy and spend four hours or six hours, I can understand how this entire thing works now. That is such a huge shift. And it's it's so empowering because even when you don't have a specific thing you need to learn, you can go there and you can say, well, I got two hours. Right. That's sometimes that's the hardest thing. You have to learn how to learn. They've done a huge amount of that up work, upfront work for you. Yeah. You can just sit down and concentrate on actually learning. And then they give you a bunch of great study tools and lesson audio and personal notebooks that you can use offline. And they have iOS and Android, Android apps to, uh, you know, learn on the go. It's a great combo. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. Big thank you, Linux Academy, Ooh. for sponsoring the Unplugged program. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. All right, Mr. West, before we get back to the freaking um, Linspire debacle that I went down, the rabbit hole of Linspire, how is the, uh, how is the Gen 2 challenge going over there? It's, go- it's going quite well. Do you think we're getting near a graphical environment? Oh, yeah. Really? Yes. So we've got Wayland built. We've got Sway Wayland's built. There, yep. You've got uh, now. You, we don't have a completely functional boot system, or we do have a booting system. I can't remember. It yeah, is, no, it, yeah, it, it, boots? it will boot. Actually, we're rebooting right now. Oh! Ooh. All right. Okay. Well, uh, so before we get there, before we uh, wrap up the Gen Two challenge completely, uh, let me just uh, finish off my thoughts on Linspire here. Um, so when I launched the Click and Run store, I was greeted with GNOME software. The click and run Wait, store, yeah, the the, the 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 like the the defining feature of Linspire, what has been replaced with GNOME software. Now you know, I gotta say, it kind of makes sense. It kind of does make sense. If you were gonna if you were gonna relaunch Linspire today, you would probably do this. And if you look at the applications that they've featured here, hot damn, Mailspring. Hiri, Brave, Wavebox, Atom, VLC, and LXD right here on Spotify as um, the featured application. Um, hang on a minute. 
those are just the featured yeah. applications in the Ubuntu Software Center. They right. haven't featured those at all. No, no, no. Oh, yeah, no. And I don't mean to imply that. Can, that, can I tell you? Can I tell you who produces that but, list of featured applications? But wouldn't you? I, I mean, I guess this is the the benefit of being based on Ubuntu. But if you're going to this this to me. This to me seems like the obvious way. If you're going to launch Linspire today, why bother with a click and run store? Why wouldn't you just ship this? But okay, now tell us, Wimpy, who does? Me and Popey. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, good job, sir. Excellent work. So, I, so do you, how do you feel then about them sort of featuring your work? That's uh, better than no, I expected. That's, a, that's absolutely fine, right? They're, they're, they're rebasing on Ubuntu. They're taking advantage of lots of the underlying technologies. That's absolutely fine. But if you open GNOME software on any of the Ubuntu derivatives, that's what you see today. I think I, you know, I was expecting, I was expecting the old click and run. I was expecting like the purchasing infrastructure they had set up. Uh, and when I launched it, I went, oh yeah, that's expecting it to be out of, out of place or out of touch. Well, I was disappointed, but then I was like, actually, that's exactly what they should be doing. Yes. Um, well, good picks, by the way. Good picks, Wimpy, by the way. I think that's, that's open arenas also down here in recommended games, uh, frozen bubble, never ball, good stuff. So it is in a way a shadow of its former self. It is not, um, I haven't got a chance to try out the uh, wine integration that they, uh, supposedly brought in from like their Zandros heritage, which does sound actually kind of interesting. In in a way, it is a shadow of its former self. It is an Ubuntu respin. But then at the same time, it does offer something unique. When I bought this for $80, $95, all said and done, um, I sent them an email and I said, hey, I'd like to just have an ISO instead. Can I get an ISO today? And an actual person who speaks English responded to me. And gave me here's a, a here's prompt a, way here's a 64 bit link here's a 32 bit link have at it wow um so their they their support aspect of it is legitimate it is something that they're actually living up to there is a there are people responding because I said I sent an email to the support uh, support channel they're also making some interesting package choices this is a very nice implementation of XFCE I don't think it would hold up on a high DPI setup. But on a on a standard DPI setup, this is got to be one of the cleanest, simplest, most modern implementations I've ever seen of XFCE. It does seem like a desktop that, uh, especially, uh, I, I could just take someone who had used a computer before and plop them down there, and they would probably get along just fine. They're they're doing a bunch of other things that I think are kind of interesting. Um, so by default, they are turning on uh, pre-linking, and they're uh, they're pre-linking a bunch of libraries to try to improve performance. Oh, okay, mm-hmm. I don't know if that's Ubuntu- a default Ubuntu oh, okay. feature. I was just going to say I don't know if Ubuntu. <laughs> okay, there you go. Um, and they also have Samba and uh, an NMBD pre-running and set up out of the gate. They've got. Um, Clam antivirus which, and which, fresh clam. Which we can't do in official Ubuntu flavors because you're not allowed to ship with any running surfaces. Right. And they've got clam and fresh clam um, running in the background. So you've got essentially out-of-the-box antivirus. Again, Windows users seem to care about that. <laughs> yes. More so. Than... It is like a, you know, like a tricycle for Windows users coming over to the Linux world. There's also a process and a user called Whoopsie. Is this... Uh... <laughs> What is whoops? What is whoopsie? Whoop, I don't. Wh- that's whoopsie Daisy. Is that um, the? Uh, is that a bug reporter? Yeah, it's the bug reporter for kernel <laughs> traps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Ubuntu. My, God, my, my current my current boss 
wrote whoopsie daisy my uh my my uh my years on arch have um have colored my perception of things like this but i understand why they're there um also uh there's uh there's a few uh, a few other like you know default tweaks default applications have been changed obviously chrome's in here skype's installed out of the box gdebi bleach bit so it is a uh in in a lot of ways it is a better out of the box windows replacement than stock ubuntu if you expect your computer to work like a windows system is it not zubuntu with a few applications exactly. pre-installed <laughs> that you can't redistribute legally yes that is exactly 100% what it is with you know chrome codex and other things that yep yeah but um i don't i think it would be naive to say there isn't a market for that that stuff that oh, that, not, that stuff I'm you're not, not allowed to distribute not a market for it no i'm just i'm yeah. just saying you could do the same thing with zubuntu because you could install zubuntu open the software center and install all of those applications right, yeah. that are... right but there's something about it being i think there's something about the idea of it being a prepackaged solution so when you think about the way you get linspire you don't even get an ISO. You go spend $95 and what you get is a thank you email saying that your package is on its way. It's really a story about like trying to understand the perspectives and goals of the people who are behind them. Yeah, and it's not it's not my goal. That's not my perspective, <laughs> but yeah, what you what you're what you're basically getting is you're getting um you're getting Chrome, you're getting Thunderbird with Exchange and Google Sync uh plugins installed. You're getting VLC Clam AV, you're getting .NET Core support, uh, XFS. Uh, I don't realize. I don't know why they outlined that. <laughs> um, intrusion detection, bleach bit. Is these are the other things, and ICE SSB are the main things that they say are included with Linspire over traditional Linux, aka Ubuntu. Um, and you also get 12 months of email and phone support with uh, with that. Um, and that's and that's what your money is really buying, right? It's that support. I suppose, or maybe the ability to distribute some of that software. And then it's based on uh, LTS, so it's supported until um, 2025. Is it? That's what they say, you know? Yeah. Also, How are they doing that? <laughs> <laughs> also, apparently, if you're a business, they'll spin you custom ISOs and do yeah. on-site setup. Yeah, yeah. And they have a cloud version as well that you can buy, which is actually cheaper than the desktop a version. cloud version? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I mean, I, this is I, based on this is based on sixteen oh four. Yes, sir. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, how are they doing support until twenty twenty five? Well, how long is sixteen oh four supported? Five years. Hmm. Hmm. Indeed. I mean, it does say it does say until twenty twenty five. It says FreeSpire is supported until twenty twenty one, and Linspire ah. is supported until twenty twenty five. Okay. Well, <laughs> good luck. Good luck with that then. Yeah. Their twenty twenty two is going to be real tough. It's an interesting. It's an obvious play towards a completely different market than anybody that would be listening to the show or me. Uh, and um, that's kind of why I wanted to try it. Is when something like this comes along, when Linspire comes along again, and it's like, what? What makes it worth ninety five dollars? I'd also be interested to to meet someone who had found it. You know, like, oh, I'd heard my grandson had told me I really needed to get that Linux, and they ended up finding this. I wonder if it's not more about the story that you're able to tell a potential OEM partner. This is Linspire. It has, you know, you go into the heritage, you go into the fact that it's got wine sort of baked in, which is an aspect I admittedly did not get into in this review, which 
this is barely a review. It's more of like a first look. Um, and, you, you know, so you have the story of a Linspire heritage, Windows support. Uh, we ship it with Chrome. We ship it with the NVIDIA binaries. We ship it with Thunderbird that has Exchange support. It's a story that you could tell an OEM that maybe is more appealing than a free-loving all-GPL <laughs> software distro. I don't know. Or at least something they can understand a little bit more, right? Yeah. But uh, we'll see where it goes. So we're, we're, we're checking in at the beginning of 2018. They just had their new version 7.0 Linspire release. We'll see where it goes for the rest of 2018, I suppose. And remember, one of the only benefits when it comes to having a non-free software included is they can actually bundle it in a box in a store. Yeah. And sell it. Yeah. yeah, or on a machine, which I think is what they plan to do. Um, so what do you think? Um, replacing the studio machines? We're going all in Spire? 100%. 100%. Yeah. Right. yeah. I mean, it's, You've been talking it up all day. It's, it's supported until 2025, so it's obvious. Yeah, install once, and then, uh, I mean, will there even be JB by then? Who knows? Finally. Finally. Uh, Actually but, laughing out loud. <laughs> <laughs> I give them credit for responding to my support email requests and... Um, and actually giving some thought to some applications to bundle with it. We'll see where they go. I'd be, I'd be curious. All right, Mr. West, are you ready, sir? Are you ready, Mr. West? Perhaps the worst idea happened when I went to New York. I noticed you guys didn't do a Gen 2 Challenge check-in last week. I see how that is. I see you save it for me when I'm around because we could have wrapped this well, up you last just, week. Uh, you were so you've been so fascinated by the whole affair. I didn't uh-huh. want to deprive you. Uh-huh. So how's it sort going? Sort of like a homecoming. So when I checked in last during the show, you were rebooting. Yeah, hey, we're, we are live in Sway. What on really? Wayland. You've gotten to graphical Ninja mode. Too. Yes, sir. Do I have? Do we have a sky cam? Let's see here. We do have a sky cam. You only see this. Holy crap! It doesn't look like much. It hasn't been super look configured yet, but. Look at there it is. There it's we can there. almost see it. There it is. That is that is totally boring and a total maybe the most boring thing I've ever yeah, seen. That is really boring. But so this is Sway. Yeah. Huh. On Wayland. Not bad. No X anywhere. Not bad. No anti aliasing either. No, no anti aliasing. Why would so you want that? That is a full that is a full Gen 2 system boot up right there with uh with um with Sway. You did it. You you did it. Wow. Yeah, there you up your shaft. <laughs> Good job, Wes. I don't know if it was worth it, but so was that five episodes? It took five weeks of building software? On and off, anyway. That's not bad, really. Since In a virtual we, machine. So you probably, if you would have given it a good solid three and a half hours, you could have gotten it. Oh, yeah, definitely. Hmm. Plus, a lot of that was uh, trying to do the show and read through the handbook, which had been years since I'd read through. So there was a, there was some of that. Now, I think, yeah, give me an hour and a half and a fast machine, and we'll be, we'll be done. We've had a lot of fun with Gen 2 over the Gen 2 challenge, um, but... Wes and I were discussing this, and we realized we actually did walk away with a a bit of a lesson from this whole thing. Because <laughs> because the sort of the the ongoing joke was, what good is Gen two for? What's the point of Gen two? Even now in twenty eighteen, do you really need these optimizations that you might be able to get when you build your own software? What's the damn point of Gen two? And um, sort of perfectly on January six, a uh, uh, a great post, a science project, really make the four eighty six great again running modern Linux on an ancient 486 PC. This PC, which was released in 1989, which, uh, fun fact, before the meltdown problem. Right. Before speculative execution. Um, And uh, this is about as far back as you can go and still have actual genuine kernel support. But just because the Linux kernel supports the 486 processor 
doesn't mean that any distribution out there and its packages do. And there was only one system that supported... Yeah, when you're in a situation like this, where do you turn, right? It's only one. There's only one. Gentoo. And Gentoo was perfect because the issue with modern Linux distributions like Debian or Ubuntu or Arch is that they distribute binary packages, which we all think is great, but... When you need something like a 486, while it's theoretically supported by the modern Linux kernel, the distribution packages do not support it. Debian dropped support for 586 32-bit CPUs in 2016. The oldest supported x86 CPU by Debian is the 686, which uh, was uh, released in 95, which is when speculative execution started coming along. So you don't want that. <laughs> no. Uh, but the thing about Gentoo is you can freaking build the packages yourself. And you can you can install Linux on this crazy, esoteric edge case that most people would never even think of. And if you think about it, that's sort of the beautiful thing about Linux itself, is yeah. that it's this general purpose technology platform that brings life to devices and enables technology in ways we never even considered before. Right. I think there's this, you know, uh, I'm sure a lot of people are like asking why, why would you do this? But there's almost, there's a sort of that that's irrelevant because, like you say, it is this general purpose and a lot of interesting things happen when you don't really ask why and you just sort of are open to exploration. Nothing else could do this. I mean, some some BSDs. But in the Linux landscape yeah, yeah, and yeah. in the, uh, you know. Nothing useful could do this. Nothing that you would want to actually use and could connect out to the internet and clone a Git repo and install Python 3.63 could do this. It has to be Linux. And Gentoo is one of the few Linuxes that actually could make it possible. Right. You don't have to be a giant corporation who has manpower to build your own distribution or custom compile everything. You have a framework that's been developed over years to make it easy for you to do it. What's great is it takes about um, 11 minutes for boot up. <laughs> and then Just have a, you know, have a cup of tea. You'll, you'll come back. It'll be up. They hooked up a Sound Blaster 16. Oh, nice. And it took a couple of minutes for the uh, music playback to start working. It also took a couple of minutes for SSH um, to connect in <laughs> and uh, took about only three minutes to clone a Git repo, and uh, shutdown took about five point five and a half minutes to shut down. <laughs> That's incredible. Oh, uh, they got the whole post goes through how they got uh, Linux four dot fourteen dot eight running on this, like a brand spanking new kernel too, like yeah. that, right? Yeah, it's just really remarkable. It really is so cool. They used an old version of damn small Linux as well to try to uh, to mess around. And this, you know, it's sort of the perfect conclusion to the Gentoo challenge because it it does show you what what is Gentoo good for? Um and it's it's good for people that are doing things you've never even thought of. Yeah, absolutely. It's a, I still think it's a it's a fun playground. Uh I'm going to leave this here for a while at least just to play with Sway and maybe some other things. Also just Emerge is great. Uh it's really fun to get to spend a little time, especially, you know, like I I love Linux. I play with Linux, but I also get all of my work done on Linux. And so this was a nice reminder that like the internals are fun. Configuring a kernel is fun. Really getting to know your yes. system. I also think like if I was doing a bunch of Linux development, it might be a system that I would really like to be able to just customize, play, and have access to all these tweakable sources right there. 
<laughs> Beard chimes in with the fact that Slackware can still do high five eighty six. Damn it, Beard. Go check out Beard at rec.net. I hear that son of a bitch is streaming more than ever. Oh, Mr. Yeah. At West Payne right there on the Twitter. And check him out on the new rebooted Tech Snap, as well as me. I'm at Chris LAS. Get more wimpy at the Ubuntu podcast and join our subreddit at linuxunplugged.reddit.com. This year's show is live on Tuesdays over jblive.tv, followed now by the Ask Noah program. So it's a whole afternoon slash evening slash insert local time of Linux. If you join our virtual lug, you can also take advantage of that in the Ask Noah program. So, geez. It's never been better to join us over at jblive.tv for quite the live experience. Thanks for being here, and we'll see you right back here next Tuesday! Out of here. Oh! Thank you, Virtual Lug. You guys are great. Now we just got to pick a title, and um, I think we're done. I think we're done. It was, it was a fun show. It was a fun show. I enjoyed the hell out of that. Yeah. I enjoyed the hell out of it. Uh, so, one are thing. You, wait, so, are what? you still going to get. The install media for Linspire in the mail. Yes. Is that still okay? Good. I yeah, was going to say that's thing. almost a trophy. I'm going to I'm going to follow up when it comes expensive in. Expensive USB stick <laughs> ever. <laughs> it's probably the bare minimum too. It's like just four gigs. Right? Oh, that could be a title. Most expensive USB stick ever. Most expensive the, Linux yeah, distro ever. Just that someone. That's the there. The, there is the show title right there. What about most expensive Linux distro ever? Because it really is. I don't know of a more expensive. You can't. Where else can you spend ninety five dollars on a distro? Yeah, Damn it! What's Oracle charging these days? Five dollars more, and you can get Windows ten. <laughs> wow. You know, but most expensive Linux distro ever is very long. Is there a <laughs> is there a tighter way to to say that? Um, that'll most do. Most expensive pig. Linux. That'll do. Yeah, most expensive Linux. I almost feel like it's got to be long. I don't know. Long and complicated. Breaking break the bank. Uh, yeah. Green light for Linux. Yeah. You could just uh, do Linux and a bunch of dollar signs. So, hey, Beer, what do I do? Do I do, Is there a scene for Ask Noah? Like, what do I do when it's Ask Noah time? Uh, you turn off the stream and Noah picks it up. Oh, what? That's right. What? Oh, hey, buddy. Bang suggest working Discord. <laughs> oh, there we go. Bash so, hold on. You, done the same you're telling me between, between Wes, Noah, and Beard... You, uh, I guess last week was kind of crazy. There we go, Martin. That's true. I forgot about that. That was crazy. All right. I understand. I thought we would have had this shit fixed by now. It's cool. Well, you were gone, so we didn't have to if do anything. If only there was some sort of like remote login system on the OBS system that Noah was integrated with hey, 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 where he could just connect offered, in. Hey, I yeah, offered to right. both you goofballs multiple times. <laughs> like, I'm a goofball hey, just, now! Just give, you, me, just give me permission. Just give me permission and I'll make it happen. I'm a goof. What do you mean? How do you not have permission? I installed well, your remote... Not, not, not like verbal permission. Like, is it oh. okay that I go and screw with your broadcasting <laughs> yeah, machine? it's good. It'd be good, actually. I mean, could you just solve you problems right, for it's me? It's gonna happen. And he's gonna all blame right, you anyway, so... That's alright. So we so we do have to... So I should probably... We should probably interrupt the stream soon so that way there's time for YouTube to reset uh conditions aren't granular enough hey so if people want to hang out in mumble for ask noah where should they go oh, God. This is like not the best week of that because i have a guest coming oh. on but oh I'll, I'll right to, right I'll tell you what, yeah, if you guys right. if you guys hang out in there and and either he's he comes in late because i know he's on a, on a call with a customer right now if he comes in late or uh if we wrap up i'll jump back in mumble
So what is that? Does that mean stay here, or does that mean? Yeah, you're just being the, yeah, so are you going to be? Are you going to be sending a feed into the mumble room? Can they hear the show, or do they got to still go? Uh, God damn it, Noah! Yeah, sorry, <laughs> sorry. Sorry. Hey, listen. We send a feed to TuneIn. We send a feed to AskNoahShow.com. We send a feed to JBLive.tv. We send a feed to KQQRadio.com. There's like a billion ways. to I know. You can't escape the show. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right good enough noah